If you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and make your way to the Gospel of John in the New Testament. Uh, John 14, 6. We're going to be spending the next three weeks on this one verse uh, to really understand what Jesus is saying, uh, what it means for our life, why so many people uh, struggle with what Jesus said in this one passage of Scripture. And uh, as we get ready for that, again, we're going to be in John 14, 6. I'd like to encourage you. I'd like to challenge you. Um, if you have yet to memorize Scripture, uh, to begin within the next three weeks to have this verse memorized. Um, no matter what translation you're reading from, whether it's a New International, New American, English Standard, New King James, King James, whatever scripture or, or version of scripture you're reading from, uh, memorize what Jesus said in this verse. And as we go through it, we're going to have it in our hearts and be ready to talk about what Jesus meant uh, to a world that, again, really struggles with this one passage of scripture. Uh, when I was about five or six years old, I got to go snow skiing for the very first time. Uh, my dad was a pastor in a small church in northern Missouri, and so being in a very small church, he was the pastor, he was the youth pastor, and he was the children's pastor. And so since he was the pastor and youth pastor, when he took the youth to Kirksville, Missouri, which they had a, a ski place, they don't know if they still do or not, uh, me and my brother and my mom, we all got to go along, and I thought it was awesome. If you've never been snow skiing before, you, you get these cool boots that fit perfectly in skis, and they click in, and you almost feel like you're becoming like a robot or something, and as I was looking out on the hill where we were going, um, I was excited. I was pumped. Now, there were three options at Kirksville at this point in time. Uh, there was the Bunny Hill which didn't require any, you just kind of walked up sideways and went down, but I was, I was already a full boy at that point in time, so we're jumping the bunny hill, we're going to the, the, the next level up, which was a much larger hill, and then they had a third hill that required a ski lift, so the much larger hill, I had to grab a hold of this uh, strange contraption, it was like a conveyor belt that had sticks on it, and to get up this hill, you had to grab a hold of it, and it would pull you, and then you would go up, and so after numerous times of trying to get a hold of it, I finally got it, and I started going up the hill with my, my dad and, and a friend of mine, and so we get up to the top of the hill, and as, as, as get there, I finally come to the realization the hill looks a lot higher when you're at the top than when you're at the bottom. And I also come to realize I'd never been skiing before in my life. I had no idea what to do. And, and so I knew I had to get down. I didn't know how I was going to stop. I didn't know uh, the, the whole working out of skiing down a hill looked. And so my dad, seeing my, my tentativeness, comes up with a game plan. Now, I don't know if my dad had ever gone skiing before this moment, but he sounded uh, very professional, so he was the leader of our skiing expedition at this point in time, and he told us, this is what you're going to do, this is how it's going to happen, and so you're not scared. On the count of three, we'll just all go together. Well, that sounded great, you know, teamwork, you know, so, so he starts to count down. He says, one, I, I have my poles, and, I, and he told me I'm supposed to tuck them underneath my arms, and so I tucked them. He said, two, he said, you bend your knees at two, so I bent my knees, and three, we were going to lean forward and go. He said three, and so trusting that my dad had my best intention in mind, I leaned forward, and I went. As I was zipping down the hill, and it was awesome, I, I, I came to the realization I was alone. 
And I was either going faster than everybody else or something really bad had happened behind me. So I did what you normally do when you realize you're alone. I looked back. The problem was I'd never skied before. And in and, and looking back, my weight transferred. And so I looked back, and what happened next, if I did today, I would physically be unable to walk for a week. I, I fell back on my skis perfectly, and being such a small kid, I landed perfectly on my skis and went down the rest of the hill without losing any momentum. <laughs> and, and I got so much snow in my coat, I didn't have to worry about stopping because eventually, you know, enough snow just slowed me down at the bottom of the hill. But I got up and I was cold and, and, and it, it did not go the way it should have gone. And eventually my dad and my friend come down and my dad gives one more piece of instruction and he says, I don't think that's the way you're supposed to do it. <laughs> when we look at life and we go through life, we all have a way. Everything we do in life, we say there's a way you should do it. There's, there's a way you should parent. There's a way you should budget. There's a way you should exercise and diet. And there's a way you should do certain things. And there's times in your life, I'm sure of it, you've seen someone doing something and you've come to the conclusion, I don't think that's the way you should do that. Because you know bad things are going to happen or it's not going to end up the way they want to do it. Ironically, when it comes to God, when it comes to Christianity, when it comes to being a follower of Christ and a child of God, not only Christians, but a bulk of the world outside, the unbelieving world outside the church, really struggle with God and Jesus saying that there is, in fact, a way. Because it is a very exclusive statement. In John chapter 14, verse 6, this is exactly what Jesus says. He told him, and he's speaking to Thomas at this point in time. We'll get in that in a second. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Like I said, this is one of the most controversial verses in all of Scripture. Because it says that it is only by Jesus. It is only through Jesus. It's only a faith in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone in which someone can be saved, in which someone can be given eternal life, in which heaven is actually a reality, only through Jesus. And in that statement, what it is, is saying, and Jesus meant it, is that all other ways, all other religions are wrong. There is no other way to heaven. There's no all religions lead to the same place and all religions serve the same God. Jesus made that very clear in Scripture, and this is why so many people have an issue with this passage of Scripture. In dealing with the context, what Jesus is doing here in the Gospel of John is He is preparing His disciples for the day when He is no longer physically going to be with them. He's preparing them because Jerusalem is on the horizon. And the next time they go to Jerusalem, even though they're going to be ushered in with choruses of praise, it's ultimately so Jesus can lay down His life. And so he's preparing his disciples, look, there's coming a time where I'm not going to be here, but I'm going to go away, but I have to go away so I can prepare a place for you. But don't worry, you'll be with me there soon. And Thomas, in a moment of panic, in one of the few times in Scripture is recorded of Thomas saying anything, this is doubting Thomas, by the way, says, Jesus, where are you going why can't we go with you? And, and how are we even supposed to know where to go if we don't know the way to go? And so Jesus, seeing this moment of panic, gives the instructions or the directions. He says, look, 
on the way. What, what way? No, no. I am the way. Jesus was telling Thomas, he was telling the disciples in that moment, he's telling us today that he is the only way, the one way in which we get to the Father. He is the only way, the one way in which we receive eternal life and, and get the promise of heaven. He was telling his disciples in that moment, he says, look guys, you've been with me all this time. If you want to know the way and where I'm going, just look at my life. The way I have lived my life, that's the way you're supposed to live. The way I have been loving people, that is the way you're supposed to love. The way I have been sacrificing, that's the way you're supposed to sacrifice. The way I am going to be persecuted, that's the way you can expect to be persecuted. The way I treat people, no matter where they come from, no matter what background they have, that's the way you are to treat people. The way that I am, that's the way you are to be. Everything that I am, you are to strive to be. That should be the definition of your life. And the followers of Christ understood that. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 5, Therefore be imitators of God as dearly loved children, and walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us, a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. The apostle John wrote in 1 John in chapter 2 and verse 6, he says, the one who says he remains in him, speaking of Jesus, should walk just as he walked. One aspect of Jesus being the way is it is meant to direct every aspect of our lives as children of God. Meaning everything that we do, everything that we think, everything that we act out should be an imitation of Jesus Christ because he is the way in which we are now called to live. That's part of our confession of faith, as Jesus being our Savior and Lord, is that He is the way that God intended for my life to be like. He intended for me to look at Jesus and say, okay, am I measuring up? Am I, am I looking at myself in the mirror when I see how Jesus treated people, how Jesus talked, how Jesus loved? Is that, is that me? Am I imitating that? Am, am I living that way? But it is an exclusive statement. And Jesus meant that very thing. And to understand this exclusivity of, of Christianity, if we just think about Scripture in, in, as a whole, you go back to Genesis in chapter 1, when God created everything, He had a way He created it, right? He spoke it into being and He formed man with His very own hands. Then you look at what God did for the first man and woman, Adam and Eve. He had a very specific way that he wanted them to live in the midst of the garden, in the midst of perfection. He had a very specific thing he wanted them to do while they're there. And he also had a very specific thing he didn't want them to do. He had a way about himself. You go to when God brought judgment upon the earth because sin came in because Adam and Eve didn't live in God's ways. They did live in God's will. God had a very specific way in which he wanted Noah to build that ark, didn't he? He had a very specific way in which he was going to flood the earth and take care of the sin and, and, and bring judgment upon it. You go on further. God had a very specific way in which he wanted to use Moses. When Moses thought he could be the, the hero for the people of Israel, God brought humble humility upon Moses and eventually called Moses out from a burning bush, brought plagues and, and crossed in the Red Sea. And then what did he do? He gave people the law, God's way, God's word, God's will. He has a way because he is God. 
Throughout Scripture, we see it when, when he commissions Joshua to take the people in the promised land. Guess what he says? He says, look, Joshua, here's the way you're going to do this. And here's the way you're going to treat people and handle people that are in the land and the people that are going to remain land. This is the way you are to live your life with them still around it. Throughout Scripture, we see that God has a very specific way about himself. When Israel finally established themselves, you know what God does? He comes to them and says, hey guys, you're going to build a temple and this is the way you are going to build it. This is the way each room is going to be set apart and the way it is going to be used. And when you bring sacrifices to me, you know what God says? This is the way you are to bring sacrifices. This is why you're to bring it. This is when you're to bring it. This is for what reason you're to bring it. You cannot look at Scripture. You cannot read through it when we get the evidence and the truth about God and not see that God has a way. And he gives us this way in his word. And what Jesus does in this moment and what the disciples are really struggling with is Jesus is now showing them that, look, guys, I am the way. God showed you the way. I am the way. I'm equal with God. And I'm showing you the way to God. Just follow me. Just learn from me. Be with me. Imitate me. Because, guys, guess what? I'm getting ready to hand you the torch. You're going to have to carry this. You're going to have to be the way. And when we look in Scripture, what we see in the book of Acts is that the, the followers of Jesus Christ took up this mantle. As Peter was before the religious leaders in, in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, he says, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. Matter of fact, if you look for the book of Acts, you see that Christians weren't called Christians first. You know what they were called? People of the way. Because they were living their life in such a way that other people saw them and said, wow, they act like, talk like, look like Jesus. And that's what he's saying. He's saying, you, you are now eternal beings by your faith in me. And so now there's a very specific way in which I want you to live, in which God wants you to live. And this is found in the Old Testament and New Testament. It's God's work of what the Bible calls sanctification. It's God setting us apart from this world, that we're in this world, but we're not of this world. And so we're to live a certain way so people of this world can see Christ in us and can see that Jesus is the way, and he has made an impact on our life. I think a lot of people struggle with Christianity because they look at the church and look at people who call themselves Christians and they see no difference in the way they live. They see no evidence. But Jesus is saying this straight out, look, I'm the way you are to live. I'm the way you are to act. How did Jesus prove this? That's a huge statement. He's basically saying Islam, Muslim, uh, Jehovah Witness, Mormon, Wicca, all that stuff, New Age, Scientology, all that stuff that is wrong. It doesn't get you to the same place. You're not worshiping the same God. It is wrong. If you believe that, you're going to be lost. I am the only way. How did he prove it? You don't have to look to the cross. You look to the cross and you remember the tomb is empty. That's how he proved it. If, again, we rewind back into the Old Testament, there are some, there are some books. If you haven't read the entire Bible yet, um, I encourage you to do so, but I just want to give you a heads up. There are some books 
in, in the beginning parts of the Old Testament that are, are really tough to get through. Um, that's part of your persevering, I think. Um, the latter part of Exodus starts awesome, okay? But then you get to about chapter 20 and 21, and you start laws and regulations and sacrifices and stuff, and it doesn't really pick up after that because then you get into uh, Exodus, Deuteron, or Leviticus, which is a book of law, uh, Numbers, which... Yeah, and then Deuteronomy some has highlights, but they're really tough to get through. And, and I really struggled in reading those and studying those um, a while back until I, I really spent some time just walking through what God was saying. He's obviously telling his people, this is the way you are to live. This is the way you are to act. This is the way you are to approach me. This is the way you are to worship me. This is the way you are to do this so other people would know that I am the God who makes a way. And in reading those, if you read those in the perspective that Jesus Christ, in being the way, took all of these regulations, took all of the commands of God, all of the sacrifices required to come into the presence of God, he took it all upon himself as the atoning sacrifice. So by our faith in him and him alone, we now have access to the throne room of grace. The book of Hebrews in the New Testament really pulls a lot from these books of the Old Testament to show how Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice, and this is why he is the way. That because he lived a perfect life, you and I couldn't. He died a death that you and I can't. He rose again, which we cannot. Also that we might be saved and be redeemed to become into the presence of the Holy of Holies. So you go into the New Testament, you see on the cross when Jesus breathed his last and said it was finished, you read of the, the veil or the curtain being torn. That's taken from the Old Testament. It's that understanding of, of Exodus and, and, and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. It's understanding of the building of the temple. That was that separation between man and God because of our sinfulness. We could not be in the presence of the Holy Holies. As a matter of fact, a priest was chosen by lot to go into the Holy Holies. And just in case that priest was not righteous, they tied a thing on his ankle in case he died in there and they had to pull him out. There was an awe and a fear of God's holiness because they knew God had a way and they knew that, that we as people continuously struggle with that way. We continuously fall short of that way. But Jesus did it perfectly. And he died for you and me and he rose again that we can be forgiven. So now that we know that he is the only way, we can now live in the way which God has created us for. Jesus did this because the sacrifices of the Old Testament, it was, it was continuous. <laughs> you get an image of church in the Old Testament, you just think blood and fire, okay? A lot of blood, a lot of fire. And so the Jewish people or the Israelites had to continuously offer these sacrifices. Every year they had a, a day of atonement where they had an atoning sacrifice for the entire nation. And it was just constantly maintenance, spiritual maintenance because of their sin. But when Jesus died and rose again, he didn't give us a spiritual maintenance. He gave us a complete spiritual makeover. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, that anyone who is in Christ is a new creation, meaning the old has completely gone away. It's completely passed by our faith that Jesus is the way. So yes, it is exclusive. Because Jesus did what no other religious leader, no other religious person could do, and that he died for the world and he rose again. 
No other person in history can say they did that. They may be a smart person. They may be an intelligent person. They may be a very spiritual person, but they still are a sinner in need of Jesus Christ who is the only way. It is exclusive. And since people struggle with that, it's because they don't understand exactly what Jesus came to do. Timothy Keller writes in his book, A Reason for God, that skeptics believe that any exclusive claims to a superior knowledge of spiritual reality cannot be true. But this objection is itself a religious belief. It assumes God is unknowable or that God is loving but not wrathful or that God is an impersonal force rather than a person who speaks in Scripture. Therefore, their view is also an exclusive claim about the nature of spiritual reality. If all such views are to be discouraged, this one should be as well. If it is not narrow to hold this view, then there's nothing inherently narrow about holding a traditional religious belief. In other words, this idea that, well, I don't believe in Christianity because it is exclusive, because Jesus said he is the only way the Father. Well, here's a reality check if that's the kind of world you run into. You cannot look at any other major world religion, and they, they also hold a matter of exclusivity. They also have a manner in which this is how you get to heaven. This is what you have to do. This is how you have to live your life. This is how you have to, to, to maintain yourself. Every major world religion. So the bulk of the world's population believes that there is a specific way in which you receive eternal life. The problem about every major world religion compared to Christianity is this. It all is reliant upon you and your way. It's replying upon you and you working out your salvation. You being good enough. You working hard enough. You doing enough things in order that you can earn or receive eternal life. Or are you doing enough things so when you go to the next life, you have a little bit better life. Christianity is what sets it apart because Christianity says God does not require you or me to do anything. He simply requires you or me to put our faith in Jesus Christ because Jesus paid it all. It is by nothing you and I can bring before holy God. It's not our spiritual resume or holy resume. It's simply God's gift of love saying, I am for you. I love you. I want you. Jesus is the way. If you place your faith in him and him alone, you will be saved. It's not by anything you can do. Because I love you. See, Jesus, when you look at scripture, he doesn't just say that he is a way, he shows he is a way. And even though it is an exclusive statement about only through Jesus Christ, Jesus also made it abundantly clear that he was a very inclusive person. Think of the people Jesus included in his life. Prostitutes, tax collectors, traitors, backstabbers, murderers, assassins, doubters, liars, thieves. These are the people our Lord and Savior included in his life. And when he talked to a man named Nicodemus in John chapter 3 in that famous verse 16, God so loved the world in this way he gave his only son so that everyone, everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. In verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but to save it through him. Jesus isn't saying I am the way so he can tick people off. He's saying I'm the way to speak spiritual truth. That we understand that I can't be good enough. I can't do enough good stuff. I 
can't work hard enough. See, if that was how you could earn eternal life, then how do you measure that? How do you measure what's actually good? Is it what's good for me or is it what's good for you? How do I measure what, what is enough work? I mean, is it when I'm just totally wiped out and tired or is it when I've accomplished something? What happens if, if, if I'm, I'm having a good week, Monday through Thursday, but then Friday is a bad day and that's when I die? Does that mean all my good is worthless? Did I, did I, did I, did I throw it all away in that one moment? Or what if I'm having a great day, but then I, just, I have that moment of relapse into my sinful nature, nature and, I, and that bad comes out, that sinful stuff comes out, and that's the moment that God takes me home. It, 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 does it take away everything good I've ever done? You see, if we try to measure our salvation upon what we can bring to the table, we will always fall short. That's why Jesus says, I am the way. It is to free you and me. <laughs> I don't have to prove myself to a holy God. I just have to accept his love for me and, and, and live my life according to his word, not, not to prove it, just in response to God's love for me. Because this is the way, this is the best way. Another issue that people may have is, is something that, that you can talk about very easily. How can you say he is the way and the only way? And all other religions are wrong. Well, if you ever get in this conversation, here's where I want you to, to maybe move the conversation to. How do you know there's a right way to do anything? Is there a right way to drive? Yeah. Is there a right way to be in a relationship with another person? Is there a right way to treat people? Is there a right way to spend your money or save your money? How do we know there are right ways and wrong ways. Well, we make our own laws, right? We have our own regulations. We have our speed limit signs. We have our own manuals that teach us that this is a right and wrong way. But even as a child, we know that there are right and wrong ways. That's why when our kids act up, they try to do it when we're not looking, right? We have something inside of us all that says there is a right and wrong way. No matter what background we come from, no matter what country we live in, we all have something in us that says there's a right and wrong way. Now, how do we get that? According to the Bible, it's because God made us in his image. And because he made us in his image and God has a way, he has instilled in us this ability to discern a right and wrong way. And so since we all have that, and since there is some sort of measuring rod, we have to come to the the conclusion that we must have been created by a creator who created us in his image and created us with the ability to know right and wrong. What Jesus does is he comes and says, you know what? I've lived right 100% of the time because you and I don't. And so when we place our faith in Jesus alone, we receive the perfect way to God and the only way to God. This is the gospel, that Jesus is the way. The Bible says that God created you and me to be in a relationship with him. The problem is, is all of us in this room struggle with sin. 
We all struggle with falling short of God's holy perfection, His way. And what we try to do and what other people try to do is they try to oh, just, i got to go to church more. i got to pray more. i got to read my Bible more. I've got to memorize that more. I've got, i got, i got, i got. And it's all about what they think they've got to do. But the reality of the gospel is that God did everything for you and for me, and he made the way back to him, and it's by our faith in Jesus Christ alone in which we will be saved. The Bible says to do this, we first have to come to understanding that we are sinners. There are times we do bad things. Things we're ashamed of, things we hope nobody finds out about, things that we don't want to talk about. That's what the Bible calls sin. It means we've missed God's way. And unless that sin is dealt with, we will die in our sins and be eternally separated from God in a place the Bible defines as hell. But if we believe, yes, God does love me that much. Yes, I want that love in my life. I want that gift. And we believe that Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone is the only way we place our faith in that. The Bible says that we confess it with our mouth. We believe in our heart and we confess our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we will be saved. And become children of God. I don't know where you are today, but I've, I've been in ministry long enough to know that sometimes we can be in church and be doing church and we forget that it's not about us, it's about Him. And we become so reliant upon what we're bringing to the table, we forget that Jesus is the way. He's the only way. And maybe you just need to come and confess to Father that you've been making it too much about you because as children of the way, now people should be seeing Christ in us and coming out of us. That's what it means to be people of the ways, that we're living a certain way of life in which people see Jesus. Maybe you're here this morning and you just need to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you've been confused because you thought, well, you know, if I'm just good enough, I'll get into heaven. But the reality is you can be a good person your entire life and still go to hell. It is only through Jesus. So I invite the worship team to come on up. And as they come on up, we're going to sing a song that is just testifying that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. And if you need to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that's why I'm standing here. Just come down and say, Pastor Mike, I want Jesus. I want to be saved. I believe he is the way and the truth and the life, and I want him in my life. Maybe you know that you have not been living the way that God wants you to live, and it's time just to repent and, 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 and say, God, forgive me. Whatever it is, I believe God has spoken to our hearts, and now it's the time to respond. Let's stand as we sing.